Hello, friends. I hope this podcast finds you in a reasonably good place. Well, as good as it can be during this pandemic. Now, I know you know a lot of states have been loosening their restrictions the last few weeks, and this weekend's going to be a big weekend. But I'm still looking at this number right here. Over 75,000 Americans have died in the past few months, and the number's rising. It's not going down. It's rising. That's more than 9-11. That's more than Vietnam War combined. Combine those two huge events that have totally screwed with our heads, and where the death count's bigger than that. And some people are treating like, man, no big deal. As long as I can get my hair cut, as long as I can go to the gym, as long as I can be out in public, hobnobbing, doesn't matter the death. Is there is there some sort of formula that we can handle of deaths so we can get the economy going again? Is there? I don't think there is. Other countries give their citizens a $2,000 a month stimulus package, plus they pay them sick leave if you are an essential worker. Wow. Sounds like those countries actually care about their citizens. I'm not sure about our leadership. If you can uh, quantitate uh, death to uh, the stock market rate going up. I I just don't get it. Now, you're not going to see me out in public. But if you do, I'm going to wear a mask. I don't care if I'm the last person wearing a mask. Until the CDC and the World Health Organization says it's safe not to, I'm going to have it on in public. Or... If I have the antibodies, I think I might have gotten the coronavirus back in December. I'm not 100%. I'm just waiting on an FDA-approved test. There are a lot of different tests out there, but they're producing all sorts of different results. A lot of false positives. And uh, then you're like, oh, I had it. And then you get sick and die. So I'm not willing to risk it unless the FDA approves it. Or I'm just going to have to wait it out. Wait it out for a vaccine. Some say it's going to come in September. Some say it's not going to only going to it's going to take 18 months, folks, 18 months for a vaccine. So we're going to have to continue to be that OCD uh, clean person for a long time to come. If we want to stay alive, if you don't care about your life, I don't know what to say. And if you don't care about anybody else's life, um, turn my podcast off. Uh, I'm not really uh, I don't even know why you're listening. I don't even know how you found this podcast. Folks, I'm going to keep doing podcasts via Zoom, like this next one coming up, the one you tuned in right now. You want to hear all about Gina Apodaca. Well, Gina lives in Cheyenne, Wyoming, just 45 minutes of Laramie, and I would have loved to do this interview face-to-face over some drinks, had some laughs, but it's not safe right now because Cheyenne actually is probably a bigger hotbed of coronavirus than Laramie is. There's only eight cases in Laramie. And there's a lot more in Cheyenne, including some deaths. So I'm going to keep myself here while we do the interview. And she'll be in Cheyenne. And you meet a lot of people going to college. And I met a lot of great people going to the University of Wyoming. And Gina was one of them. There was a time during our college careers where we were in all the same classes. And we partied with all the same friends. Now I lost contact with Gina right after college. We all kind of went our crazy separate ways. You'll hear about what she did after college. But thanks to social media and some friends, we reconnected a couple years back and have been catching up ever since. So I was born in Roosevelt, Utah. Um, Basically, my understanding is that my dad was working in the oil fields at that time, and that's kind of where 
he was working at the time I was born. Um, but I don't ever remember living there. Um, essentially, I grew up in Rollins, Wyoming. So was your dad originally from Rollins? Your mom from Rollins? Like, how did they meet and get you to Rollins? So my mom was born and raised in Rollins. And my dad is from Riverton. So kind of the Riverton Lander area. He was born and raised there. Um, like I said, my dad worked in the oil fields, um, pretty much dropped out of high school to go to work. And from what I understand, they would go to Rollins on their days off to kind of have some sort of social life. And that's where my dad and his brother met my mom and her sister. Okay, wait, wait. Did, did you, your aunt and uncle become a couple? Yes, they, they were married before my parents wow. got married. So, so your parents made it interesting, I'll say, by marrying their already brother and sister-in-laws. Right. Right, right. right. It's, just, it's just all paper stuff with that. <laughs> Anything like that. So they meet in Rollins and do... How long does it take to, for them to get married? They didn't get married. They didn't say have kids. No, I think my mom was 14 when they met and my dad was wow. 18. So it was a few years. They didn't get married until she was 19. She graduated high school. And then, you know, back in those days, you just, that's what you did. You graduated high school and you got married. And um, so. So they got married. She's 19 years old. They decide to have kids. Um, are you, where do you fit in the bunch? Are you the oldest, youngest, middle? I'm the second of four. I have an older brother. He's about two and a half years older than me. So he was also born in Roosevelt, Utah. Um, interesting situation with the oil fields. My dad used to work a lot overseas. So we lived in England for a while when I was a really small child, my dad was working on a rig in Scotland. So when I was like about two years old, he moved the family to England because that country is only about the size of the state of Alabama. So, you know, you can drive from country to country in just a couple of hours. So he was working in Scotland, but we were living in a town called Middlesbrough, England. And I lived there for a couple of years um, picked up an English any, accent. Do you have any memories from there? Um, I do. And some of the memories, I don't know if they're just from seeing photographs a lot or if I, you know, if they're actual real memories, but I, there are some things I remember that aren't in photos. So, you know, I'm, I must have some sort of memories of, of living there even at, you know, two, three, four years old. So being what you said, you're the second oldest. Yes. Yes. Second oldest. Um, what's the age difference between you and your, your siblings? Uh, so like I said, my older brother's about two and a half years older than me. And then my next younger brother is six years younger than me. And then my youngest brother is nine years younger than me. So. And, that, wow. That is, that's definitely some age gaps. I have, I, my siblings are nowhere near my ages. I have one that's six years older. Uh, one that's about four, she's a stepsister, and one that's about 11. So I kind of got my own childhood. And so it was, it was nice. Interesting, I'm on the only boy, too. Are you the only girl? Is that right? No, you have a sister. Never mind, I just heard that. 
No, no, no. I, no, I have the only boy. All brothers. Yeah, only, all brothers. Yeah, you're the reverse of me. Mm-hmm. Sorry, my head was going down. I was like, okay, you're the reverse. Wow, okay. So you know what it's like to be like the minority in a lot of decision making and, uh, and just being a sibling and probably get roughed around a little bit. Uh, I think I definitely can hold my own. I never let my brothers push me around. I, you know, my older brother and I used to be really close growing up, but you know, once he hit teenage years, we kind of drifted apart. And then I, I think I was just a little bit too much older than my younger brothers to really, you know, have that kind of confrontation with them. It was more like, you know, a mothering role and babysitting and caretaking of the younger siblings than, than, you know, having any kind of a rivalry. Yeah, when I got older, definitely when I got into high school and my mom had to start working part-time to help support the family, then I, I was relied on a lot more to help care for my younger brothers. Um, um, so are your parents still together? No, they've been divorced for about a decade. Well, okay, hey. I'm the product of, my parents got divorced when I was six, so, and remarried. And I have step-parents that are rad, and I know my parents married to them more than I know my parents married to them as my parents. So I was like, well, apart, they're great. Together, they did not work out well. Right. Yeah, so, exactly. Um, well, I, that's an older age to handle a parent's divorce. What was that like for you? Were you just like, hey, you know, you care of family, or hey, that's what it's about no, I Yeah, I think just growing up, it was a very tumultuous relationship. They never really got along for as long as I could remember. And, um, you know, I used to think when I was in high school, why can't you guys just get divorced like normal people? So um, it, it, it happened eventually. I don't think it was a shock to any of us when they finally decided to part ways. Um, They had been married for 35 years when they got divorced. So I'm, crazy thing is that they get along better now than they ever did when they were married. So, you know, we can have family dinners and gatherings and parties. And, you know, it took my mom a good five years to be able to be in the same room with my dad, but you know, now they're actually friends, like they hang out and, you know, my dad will come over and do stuff for my mom, like fix things or, you know, they'll have coffee. And I'm like, yeah, that's just weird. Wow. That reminds Ray, you know, our mutual friend, Ray, his parents live on the same street and they're kind of that way too. It took my parents, how, I don't wow, uh, tell my older sister to have grandkids for my parents to be like, okay, civil. They, civil, they were good. <laughs> but no, like one time I, they were out in Oregon together, my mom tells me the story and she's like, uh, I got the grandkids my niece, my older sister's kids from your dad and you won't believe what he did. And I was like, Oh man, you know, dads are capable of a lot of crazy stuff. And he's like, he gave me a big old hug and asked me how I was doing. I was, I was like, Holy cow. I thought he was dying for, I was like, wow. <laughs> I was just like, wow, that's not like him at that time period. It's like, he's changed a lot now, but I was like, at that time I was like, wow, that's shocking. And I mean, from there on out, they had a better relationship and, they have, you know, kids in common. So in the beginning, it was tough to be the product of a divorced kid at a young age. And your parents, I mean, they were just, my parents were just fighting. Yours had 35 years to get it down. And you said not even be in the same room. 
So you're probably just like, oh, finally. I was, when my parents stopped fighting, I felt that way. And I was like six. It's like, yay, no yelling, no fighting. But it was kind of rough to grow up through that. And you kind of did it, but they stayed together. Did um, you graduate from Rollins High School? No. Um, like I said, it was, it was a pretty tumultuous childhood. The oil fields were unstable. And so, you know, there were times when my dad wasn't working. Um, you know, there were times when things were really great and, you know, my parents were doing really well. And then there were other times when, you know, the jobs just dried up. So uh, like I said, my mom did have to go. She was a stay at home mom most of my childhood, but then there was a period of time when she had to find part-time work to help support the family. Um, my dad had an opportunity from one of his old companies to do another school. So he had chosen to do Cheyenne Aerotech and we were, we were living in Rollins at the time. So my dad had moved to Cheyenne to go to school here. His old company was going to pay for the school. But as I mentioned, he had dropped out of high school to go to work. So not only was he going to go to this new technical school, but he also had to get his GED in order to complete the program. <clears throat> so, you know, it's 16 years old and we're moving to Cheyenne in 1990. We, we moved up to Cheyenne to uh, kind of start fresh. And my dad was doing his uh, program here and I, I had an aunt that lived here. So, you know, you know, we had a little bit of family and Rollins, I just, I, was not a fan of the town. It was a really small town. Um, and I had finished my freshman year of high school in Rollins, but I, you know, I was ready to move on at that point in my life. Wow. So, you know, moving to Cheyenne was, it was a great change for me. So we moved here and, you know, there were nights when I would stay up with my dad and help him study for his exams, you know, and I'm, Oh, wow. sophomore in high school at a new school. And so it was, a, it was a kind of interesting experience kind of helping my dad study for his exams. And I mean, these were things that I've just like completely over my head as, you know, the math and the technical stuff that he had to learn to do uh, the aircraft mechanic program he was doing. Okay. So yeah, he finished the program and my parents decided that we were going to move again because he had a job opportunity in California. So did my sophomore year of high school at Central in Cheyenne. And then my junior year, they decide we're moving to California. Wow. So get to California, a little crummy town called Lompoc. Um, sounds familiar. Yeah, <laughs> maybe you said it before, but it sounds familiar. It's on the Central Coast, about an hour from Santa Barbara. Okay. and my dad actually, he had to commute to another town called Goleta to do his job that he got offered. You know, we were there for a few months. It really didn't pan out the way that they had expected. And, you know, I kind of tried to say, hey, you guys, you know, that cost of living and it's, it's not going to be what you think it is. But, you know, they're not going to listen to a 16-year-old. <laughs> so we're there about six months and they decide, you know, it's just not working out. I mean, th there were times when we just, we didn't even have money to buy food because 
the expenses there were so high compared to what he was making and with the commuting and the cost of housing. And so um, we come back to Wyoming and my parents go back to Rollins. And I said, I would not go back to Rollins. I, I wouldn't live in that town again. So my good friend at the time, her parents let me stay with them to finish out my junior year of high school. Cause I, it was probably like March of that school year that we went back to Wyoming. So school wasn't finished yet. So give my parents um, a few months. They eventually came back to Cheyenne. So they were back in Cheyenne for my senior year of high school. So no, I didn't graduate from Rollins High School. I actually went to three <laughs> different high schools. Wow. That's how did how did your siblings take this? You guys did you bond more or is it to cause more fighting? I mean, how did no moving? Um I think it was a really good lesson in being flexible and, and just learning to adapt to the situation. It it didn't cause any issues between us kids per se. I think, you know, I always felt like my parents were just, you know, always searching for something that they just didn't really quite know what they wanted or you know, maybe because their relationship wasn't so great. They just didn't know how to be a cohesive family unit. So I think all of the turmoil came from their relationship, but you know, I, that I think bonded us kids more growing up, just having to deal with their unhappiness and with all of the instability of constantly moving while they were looking for something better. And, you know, I just don't feel like they were ever really able to find that. It's, it's it was so odd to hear you say like you wanted to move at 16 because I moved at 13 and no, I did not want to come to Laramie, Wyoming from a suburb of Portland, Oregon, Gresham, Oregon, which was so much bigger, different than here in Laramie. And no, if I would have had a choice, well, I probably could have stayed in with my dad, but that wasn't going to happen. My mom wouldn't let it happen either. <laughs> so um, I, I am shocked when I heard, wow, 16. You're like, yeah. And, but then I go, it's Rollins. I don't know Rollins well enough. Sorry, Rollins. I pick on you. I don't know you well enough. Most people get the hell out. So um uh, i don't mean to pick yeah so as gina i see her shaking her head um so you're in cheyenne you moved around you're finally getting stability um it's college time uh was the university while i'm your college that's how i met you but we'll get into that story a lot later but was the university while I'm your first choice did you shop around what did you want to do after high school is over uh uw is absolutely my last choice <laughs> <laughs> Uh, being in California, you know, I kind of thought that maybe that would be a place I'd like to do my college degree. UCSB was one of the schools that I applied to. You know, I really, my dream would have been to go to like UCLA film school. Oh, wow. um, yeah, me too. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, and then, you know, I looked at some schools in Colorado, but you know, my parents were just very working class, blue collar. Nobody went to college. I was like the first one that even considered it. So they really couldn't 
give me any guidance on the process or, you know, they, they couldn't give me any financial support because, you know, they are just constantly struggling themselves. So I just kind of feel like I had to figure it out on my own. And when it came down to it, UW was the, you know, cheapest option. We didn't have Hathaway scholarships back in those days. Um, so it was, Definitely not my first choice, but I, I don't regret the experience. I mean, yeah, I agreed. I was you know I probably wasn't into it. Like, oh, I love the University of Wyoming until I was like a couple of years in to the University of Wyoming. Uh, my dream was probably uh, UCLA at one point, Oregon at one point, uh, anywhere that would pay you know pay for my education, play football, and then it came down to well. I have a Wyoming diploma, University of Wyoming will take me. And no, I don't regret the experience. Um, now I work there and everything. So I'm like, yeah, go pokes and all that good stuff. Uh, but it was, I, a lot of people was like, well, yeah, Wyoming was kind of the last choice. And luckily it's affordable. And I'll say this to everybody, it still kind of is when you look at the tuitions of other colleges across the nation. Wyoming is pretty affordable if you're gonna go to a school. I always tell like nieces, nephews, uh, kids, uh, my friends, they're like, oh, my kid's going to go to college. I'm like, you dub. It's cheap. It's affordable. Sorry. He's that word cheap. But I was like, it is. It is. And I was like, and you have a safe face in Laramie if you come to UW because I'm here. And I work at the university and everything. You get your kids jobs if you uh, send them my way and such. So, uh, yeah, I wasn't definitely, I feel you on that one. University of Wyoming isn't, wasn't always everybody's first choice, but it's a good choice. We're still distinguished alumni now. <laughs> so cheap. Uh, we, tell that to my student loan debt, Justin. Oh yeah. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I, well, you know, and I was fortunate that I got out without debt. I made credit card stupid ass decisions, but uh, my parents said we're going to pay for it, and they were divorced, so they each took a semester, went back and forth. They said five years. Took with me six and I paid for the last then I realized oh man you gotta pay for this so yeah um and I was that's when I was working like two jobs and I was going to school part-time so probably could have got it done in five and a half but I had no clue what I really wanted to do after college was done so while I was there I just stayed there and didn't mean to you know screw up so many classes but I had a good time and so were you like a good student in high school? Are you prepared for college? Uh, what was it like? I mean, we all left K through 12. Now we're, you're going to college. Uh, high school was ridiculously easy. It was not oh. challenging at all. Um, I don't know if that means I was a good student or if the classes were just really easy. Like I said, I went, I went to three different high schools. Uh, I would definitely say the high school in California was way more challenging than any classes or schools I had gone to in Wyoming. I know there used to be a lot of talk about how much, you know, easier California schools were, but um, I'll just tell you that I, when I moved to California, I was taking French too. By the time I came back six, six months later, they had to put me in French four because it was that much more advanced wow. what they were doing there. Um, 
but I, you know, tried to make the most of it. I tried to take things that interested me. I did a <clears throat> legal studies class, so I did participate in state mock trial competition, and my team actually won the state competition, and I participated in um, French club and we had a new program where we got to teach foreign language to elementary students. So that experience taught me that I definitely didn't want to teach because sixth <laughs> graders are, you know, horrific pain in the ass. Yes. And, you know, they, they, they don't want to learn. They just want to goof off. Um, so I also did kind of a, a class that was, it was kind of a, not really broadcasting, but it was creating the video yearbook. That was the first year that they did a video yearbook for our school rather than just the, you know, print yearbook. And we kind of launched that program. Um, so I, th I think that kind of gave me some things to think about on how I wanted to move forward and, and go to college. So one of the considerations with UW was they had a really good law school. So that was something that I thought I originally wanted to do is probably major in political science and then go to law school. Um, but when I did the video yearbook class, it just being able to be so creative and, you know, editing and, uh, you know, that just really is something that I felt passionate about rather than, you know, political science or law psychology school. or so really? I kind of made my peace with the fact that I, I had to go to UW and uh, I, I mean, I was a broadcasting major from the get go. That's what I had decided wow. I was going to settle on. I was not. <laughs> I was undeclared. I thought uh, I was in marketing in high school, DECA, and yeah. I was getting that or uh, I was going to be a teacher. And my dad taught, my dad, the teacher, talked me out of being a teacher. It was interesting. And so, because I liked coaching, I was good with kids, worked summer camps, stuff like that. So, and a lot of people are like, wow, you should have been a teacher. And I was like, well, no, I'm used up in IT now. So, that's what I do. I teach people how to use IT stuff a lot. So, uh, I, it translates well when I'm in front <laughs> of large amounts of people in the classroom. I can be like, my teaching skills and trying to, you know, I know the technical terms, but you got to kind of, make it easy on people. So I can still teach, but so you went into broadcasting and I just said, I gave it away. I went into broadcasting uh, later on. Um, did you have broadcast class right off the bat when you were in college or did you did take a few semesters? No, I've, I think I started those classes right away. I looking back, I guess maybe I took a heavier load than some students did. I would do 18 hours, sometimes 20, 21 hours a semester. So I, you know, I pretty much had class every day, wow. two, three classes a day, every day, but I also did a theater minor. So. Wow. I screwed off a lot. Um, <laughs> uh, so coming from Cheyenne, did they, did you live in the dorms? Did you have an apartment set up? What, how'd you, where'd you live in Laramie? 
No, I did. My freshman year was in the dorms. That was the last year, I believe, that UW allowed freshmen to live off campus if they chose. I, I think after oh, my wow. freshman year, they started requiring freshmen to live in the dorms. So I think I just, you know, I wasn't really planning my college choice around friends or anything. So I didn't have a plan to, oh, you know me, me and this group of friends, we're going to go get an apartment. And no, I just got a randomly selected roommate and decided to live in the dorms. And I just wanted to experience it for whatever it was going to be. And uh, my roommate was a strange girl from Mills, <laughs> Wyoming. <laughs> and she was never there. So I pretty much had my own dorm room my freshman year she That's stayed the awesome. night there i think two nights that entire year fantastic so. that was awesome because I, I i was a glutton first year i did it my yeah freshman year they may require i can't remember what it was my mom just thought it was gonna be a good idea it's like sure whatever you'll meet people did not uh knew my roommate he was a guy from germany a 21 year old so he could buy the alcohol but i had a fake so it really didn't matter and the guy I met on my floor was from Laramie High School. I did not know him that well in high school. Um, I knew of him. And he kind of would pop by because I played Sega Genesis a lot. And so he would play. And then his roommate moved out and I moved into his room. And that, that made my freshman experience pretty fun. I mean, he was a fun guy to hang out with. And I have some good experiences and memories from that year. And, but I didn't meet anybody in the dorms. And I, I was going to get an apartment and all that, and it fell through, so I ended up in the dorms again, but I was by myself. And I was, like, in a corner room, and right on uh, second floor, McIntyre Hall. Shout out to McIntyre Hall. And my door was, like, the closest to, like, the emergency exit, the you know, stairs, and it led out to the street. So we just prop it open. So I, I rarely had to go by the desk. Rarely ever saw any of those people half time because we'd go in and out, and I'd be like – tell the second floor people, I'd be like, just make sure you prop it open. Those are the people I kind of met around me. I'd be like, okay, just prop it open when you go in and out of this building. I don't know if that door still exists anymore. They probably caught on. But what, what dorm did you live in right off the bat? McIntyre. Yes. What floor? Nine. 905. Wow. I think I was fourth floor and second floor. Fourth was the first year. All dudes. Like they didn't have, and then the second year was yeah, across the hall, whatever, across the elevator area was a yeah. girl side. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, I knew plenty of people from high school that were at UW, but, you know, I, I think maybe the moving around, it, it makes it hard, I think, to get that attached to people. So, you know, I wasn't oh, yeah. like super attached to anybody in high school. And it was, you know, if I, if I see a college, cool, but I'm not going to plan. You're having... crushing 18 hours of credits, man. They're not going to see you at all. No. Studying that whole time. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure you know I wasn't studying. Yes, true. <laughs> but yeah, true. I think when we met, that I think you were you were living in the dorm still when we met. Most likely, if uh, when did you start? You started in '94. You know? No, in fall of '93. '93, yes. I would have been. Um, yeah. That's, and like, I'm that 93 is kind of the worst, like, girlfriend ever. Like, the one relationship that gives you all the issues later in life. 
that mm. was the one. And so like, she like just basically moved into that room, my single room with me. And the next thing I know, I'm like, I have a nice comforter, you know, and I have female products under my, under my sink now. This is fun. Awesome. And so nothing I was really ready for at 19 and to be uh, just mental case to my head, like lie just to, for fun of it. I don't know how to explain it, but um, so yeah, uh, 93 seems a very, and that's not like, I don't want to think I met you in 93, but it makes total sense. We probably were in Tony's broadcasting class or at some point there. And uh, so. Yeah. I can remember uh, eating lunch at Washakie together. So. Wow. Yeah. Blur. I just want to put you like the next year, mm-hmm. like 94, like that whole year, like not Lindendorf. That's interesting. So as most college kids, did you, uh, or a high school kid, were you into like different activities like partying and drinking and such? Did you in high school at all? Or did you wait till college like I did to get a drink on? No, I, um, I used to party quite a bit in high school. Um, I just was smart enough not to get caught. There you go. So unlike my older brother, he got caught doing everything. So I kind of learned what not to do. That's good. I think my older older sister, she did. But I was not having it because my parents went out to bars a lot. I played sports and it was my ticket out of Laramie. So I was like, okay, just got to be good at sports. So I can't drink and do that kind of stuff. Got to be, you know, it's hardcore. And I didn't like the guys that went out and partied because they were like big fish, small pond. And I was coming from a brutally big pond having any of it. So I waited. And when I had more time on my hands, I became a drinker of sorts. But to get high school is easy, got good grades, and you get wow, that's and you learned from your brother what to get away with. Well, that's I amazing. figured nothing awesome. I did could ever be as bad as what you know he got busted doing. So, yeah, if your older <laughs> sibling sets you know, the table, you know, sets the scenario or harder than you'll probably imagine, you kind of go, Yeah, all right, I can learn from that one, you know, and that's why you always hope. Like, I always want my little sister to learn from my mistakes, which, hmm, not as easy as said. So, uh, so you're in college now. We'll go back to college. We're in college now. Um, do you remember, like, your first college party? Wow. Um, honestly, it was probably at a frat house. I... There you go. We went, uh, one that sticks out the most was... At the very, it's got to be my first year because I remember I had long hair at the time and our longest hair. And it was at the very end of 15th Street if you just took it north. It was kind of a dirt road and it was this huge house, had a basketball court and it, half a basketball court in it. But it was just pouring out of people, kegs here, there, jungle juice, crazy, just a band playing like on the basketball court, like looked like a Nirvana video. Like it was just amazing and like being there with my friends and we'd gone to high school together but didn't hang out that much and it was just kind of like yeah this this is this is what college party is going to be all about there's never one like that ever again but it was just so <laughs> like it was it was off a dirt road I, I i have to go check it out if i could drive all the way out there i wonder if it's still possible if it's still there it's got to still be there but that's one i definitely do remember or paying like 
five bucks. Girls probably didn't pay anything at the door, but paying money at the door. And I remember one time I paid money at the door. Cops showed up, probably 20 people behind me, and I just kept walking out the back door. And so Laramie's just, just a notorious party place. But yeah, you don't remember the first? I, that makes me sad. I don't like yeah. specifically remember the first college party I went to. But, you know, like I said, I, I partied quite a bit in high school. So it probably just was like a typical weekend when I got to UW. I actually met up with and reconnected with some of my old classmates from Rollins. So I knew people from Rollins and I knew people from Cheyenne. And so it's not like I didn't know people. I, it just seems like it was just kind of hanging out with this, you know, same old crowd if I came across them or it wasn't really difficult for me to find people that were plugged into wherever the, you know, biggest party was or, you know, friends of mine that were in some of the different fraternities on campus. So it was pretty easy. <laughs> yeah. My mom worked on campus and she seemed to know the parties. I'd stop by her office and she'd be like, you on the party on Flint street. And I was like, I am now. Yes. <laughs> Let me call my friends, get to a landline really fast. But yeah, it was, uh, I do remember going to TDs though. I think that's a pretty distinct memory because it doesn't exist anymore. So there are a lot of people that don't know TDs and they, yeah, they used to. They, they were the one, the first place they ate tea and up night. And right. They play country music, man. Not my favorite. No, 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 no. Not, not when I was there. That was where I got my, one of my fake IDs taken away at. The first, like I had two and I remember Ray like was like, go fight that guy for your ID. And I was like, you are crazy. And I'm not that drunk to do anything like that. Like, and the guy ended up being like, he was going to be a UW cop. Like he was in the fraternity I joined later. Like I was not fighting that guy. And he ended up giving my ID back, which was the greatest thing. I joined the fraternity and he's like, Hey, rude. I got something for you. And I was like, Oh man. And he's like, here brothers, take care of each other. Here's your ID back. And I was like, Oh, you kept it the whole time. That's awesome. That is so awesome. So yeah, I remember TDs going there and uh, being 18 I, and I, yeah, the country stuff was just not my jam when it came oh, to going play, out. They didn't play they country. Did, did they? I thought when I went, I remember that happened. Maybe I went on the wrong time. But mm -hmm. yeah, nobody remembers TDs, but if people, if you come to Laramie, it's kind of recognized. It's right across from the dorms. It's got a dome on the top of this building. And so now it's a restaurant and it's a loud one because it, it has a dome on top. And they don't really know how to do the sound modification. So you get, you know, a couple of people in there and it gets kind of loud in there. It's a good restaurant, good food. But that was TDs. And you can picture it. Yeah, the dance floor was where all the seats are at now. Mm -hmm. And kind of the outside ring is the scoping out area. And uh, got the bar is still there, which is formerly a library. Now it's, um, gosh, I still live here and I can't even remember the name of it. Wow. Uh, Dwyer's, yes. Dwyer's is where the library is form was formerly at. Um, yeah, lots of things change here in Laramie. Lots of things stay the same. Um, so you, uh, you live in the dorms, freshman years, year, years, uh, know a ton of people because you've lived in Rollins and you've lived in Cheyenne, so you kind of plugged in. A lot of people come to the University of Wyoming from small towns or just, and only hang out with Cheyenne people. Like, not Cheyenne's not small, but but you seem to fit in nicely. Was college your jam? Was your thing? Were you all about it? 
Did you catch that? No, no. sorry. No, sorry. My phone was, was uh, college your thing? Did, if you, did, did you take to it really easy, the college life? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Try not to go overboard, though, because I think anyone that gets their kind of first taste of freedom, it can go one of two ways. <laughs> but, you know, I, I think I was at least smart enough to know my limitations and seeing that it was on my own dime. I'm like, you know, I, I'm not going to blow it because I'm paying for it. So I need to also get an education while I'm having a good time. But yeah, I um, really embraced it. it. It's something I always knew I wanted to do was go to college since I was 10 years old. And I, like, I really don't know how I came to that conclusion at such a young age, but that that's why I just always knew that I was going to get a college education and I had to kind of figure it out on my own, but um, being the only girl, you know, you are the only boy, but for a girl, it was, it was, it was different. My, my dad never treated me differently than any of the boys. I had to still do all the same stuff they were expected to do, chores, you know, chores, yeah. mow the grass, you know, rake the lawn. You know, I was still expected to do all those things. But my mom, on the other hand, I <clears throat> was kind of like her little helper for everything. I was ex also expected to cook and clean and help her with laundry, <clears throat> help her with the shopping, help her take care of my brothers. And she was very, you know, raised in a small town, very naive. And I, she was very she calls it protective. I say she was very controlling. Uh -huh. So, you know, my brothers could get away with anything, but I was very restricted with what I could do. Uh, you know, I had different expectations. I, I couldn't stay out late like they could. I, you know, I, um, <laughs> in, yeah. In elementary school, she was like so afraid that something bad was going to happen to me that she stopped letting me go to slumber parties. I mean, that was a huge thing when I was in wow. grade school, like, you know, fourth, fifth grade slumber party. She was just like so afraid that something bad was going to happen to me that she just said, nope, you can't go. So I quit getting invited. And by the time I hit middle school in sixth grade, I had lost like my core group of friends that I grew up with all through elementary school because I was never allowed to go over to their houses for, you know, birthday parties or slumber parties anymore. So I think that's part of why I was ready to leave Rollins. It just was, you know, I didn't have the same friend group that I'd had growing up and it, it just, I just wasn't happy in that situation being so restricted. So going to college, it was kind of like the first time I was out from underneath that kind of um, protective <laughs> <laughs> regimen that, you know, my mom had me under. Well, yeah, I was like, and your brothers were fair game. They probably could go to do all the stuff, go to summer parties, do everything. They were oh, good yeah. to go. There are three of them only one girl so she had spares she had spare boys to get you know let things happen too <laughs> well and when i left to college my younger brother was he was barely 12 or 13 so uh -huh. you know he wasn't quite getting into that kind of stuff yet but um 
yeah, you know, I didn't have all of the responsibilities anymore that I used to have when I was at home. So still trying to be a sensible, reasonable person, not, you know, try to make sure I was reasonable about what I was doing and making sure I was still taking my classes seriously. Did you work while you were going to university? I did. I did a work study program. So for a couple of years, I worked in as an office assistant in the Department of Physics and Astronomy. Oh yeah. So um, yeah, physicists—they're they're an interesting crowd. I bet. <laughs> well, Big Bang Theory people. Yeah. Uh, much, kind of, kind of. Much much more dry around them. I Very. Bet brilliant but socially awkward for sure yeah oh yeah most a lot of uh doctorates at, at the university of wyoming they know a lot about the field but socially they're uh, slack like they need to take a social skills class like that a lot of the time i thought um i know a lot of them and that it's yeah they're currently my friends and sometimes i'm like yeah dude you're kind of being real nerdy right now and we need you to get back to uh just fitting in with this group right here. <laughs> we know you're smart. Trust me. We know you're smart. And I'm always like, I like to, I'll, I'll surround myself. I was like, I'm not the smartest person in the room, but I like to surround myself with people like that. So doctorates, master's degrees, ah, put them around me because they make me feel smart, look smart. So that's a good thing. But yet socially, sometimes they slack. So I couldn't imagine working in that field. I work in the IT department and I ran into some IT folk that they're all zeros and ones and there's a whole social side of getting this thing done. And so uh, it's interesting. So you worked there. Where else did you work while in college? Um, I think the most challenging semester I ever had was, was it my sophomore year? I did, I think 21 hours of classes. I was doing the office assistant job. I was playing rugby for UW and I was also working part-time at the senior center. Wow. Did you sleep ever? Well, I mean, <laughs> not if I wanted to drink beer. Yeah. So. Well, that's, I ask our friends from that time period. I was like, I was holding down two jobs, going to school full time, um, partying full time. Did I ever sleep? I think I slept on breaks. I think that was the time. And my little sister, I'd come home to visit all, all the way across town. And she'd be like, you're always sleeping. And I was like, because I haven't slept in the last three months. Because you got to party and you got to study and you got to work. So one of those, the last thing, sleep gets cut out of the mix. It, it does. It really it takes a backseat. <laughs> and maybe I've caught up to it today. I think I have. I have actually a normal sleep schedule comparatively. So... I always talk that this always comes up with people with food. Is there any particular food from college that you ate so much then that you can't even stand even looking at, thinking about, or even trying it now? Yeah, I lived off of SpaghettiOs and ramen and yeah. Totino's pizzas. Oh, yeah, none of that stuff sounds fun right now. Yeah, I can't even remember the last time I had SpaghettiOs because. No. Like, Lots of spaghetti. I remember that one. It was a cheap meal. Um, lots of uh, raviolis. <laughs> lots of uh, um, ramen. But like now I eat, I can eat a cup of noodles, but I can't eat like the ramen brick. Like I don't mind the cup of noodles, but I was like, as long as it's served in a different thing, <laughs> I can handle it. 
Uh, I can't, I'm not a big fan of like craft macaroni and cheese. I can handle macaroni, like a gourmet or something. But if it's that, I'm like, yeah, I pass. To any sort of pizza, I'm done, like frozen. Like it really takes me a lot to eat pizza these days because uh, I ate a lot like my sophomore year. That girl I dated, her parents were part of a major pizza franchise on the West Coast, but it wasn't in Laramie, but we ordered pizza all the time. I swear I had like three, four boxes in my room always. So I'm not a big fan of it anymore, but those are definitely the meals that I can't handle. And are your, um, so college meals. Now we'll probably get to, I usually ask this at the end of the interview, but I'm not ready to yet. Since we were the same major, how did we meet? I think you already touched on that. I, I'm, my recollection is that we met in Tony Peterson's broadcasting. It was, it was an intro to radio or I'm a, intro to broadcasting. Yeah, it was both. It was intro to broadcasting. It had radio and TV components, both. Yeah, because that's the only time I remember doing a radio component in my major. And it's interesting because I talked to Jeff Rickett about it and he was more interested in that radio side than the TV side. But his first class with Don Woods radio, he's like, why are you guys here? Radio DJs are done. Uh, all the, all the money's in advertising and owning. And so he's like, well, then I just became a TV broadcasting guy. And I was like, oh, yeah, I hear you. I was like, I couldn't believe we were in radio with our broadcasting class splicing reel to reel together. <laughs> like, I remember that. Yeah. Like scotch tape. <laughs> yeah. It's 1993 or 94, right around there. And we're, I know they're trying to teach us like kind of the history components of it, but that was an outdated technology. Then I can't imagine if it even, Jeff's like, I think I still have that reel. I was like, what? He's like, I made a kick ass commercial. I was like, <laughs> sure. You know, you cut it perfectly. Get this too. So I went to work at our community radio station in Laramie. I didn't work. I guess I volunteered my first radio show. And I go into the station and there is our audio board that we used in radio classes because it's got the little chalk marks on it where you'd set it to set your audio port for your microphone. So you'd put that little white chalk and you set it right there. Tony taught us how to do that. And so I had all the chalk marks on it and I was like, this is what I learned on. And the guy that was teaching me, he's like, oh, this is just here for now. We're getting a new one pretty soon. And I was like, hey, he's like, do you need to learn anything? I was like, nope, I know how to use everything right now. It's probably, John, 20, 25 years since I touched it. But yeah, I knew figured out how to do it. And so it was an interesting blast from the past, seeing that kind of stuff, old technologies. So we meet in broadcasting class. Jeez. Um, I know we met again. Or you knew... You had, oh, one of the DJs at the parlor lived downstairs from you at one point. No. That was Carol. Didn't Carol live downstairs at the Chinese restaurant? Yeah, but he wasn't a DJ, DJ at yet. parlor at that time. Oh, okay. No, that's, that's kind of how those two worlds collided because <laughs> I, knew, I knew you – Guy, I knew you from like my broadcasting in a major. Um, Carol, I actually met 
his other roomies at the time in my biology lab. And sophomore year when we, you know, moving out of the dorms, the apartment under mine was empty and they had just gotten kicked out of a, a place or something. And so I was like, Hey, you know, the place below me is available. So, you know, that's kind of how I ended up meeting Carol um, was through those guys. And then, you know, hanging out with you and Ray and Bert, you know, guys would come over to my house for parties at, you know, at the old Mandarin is where we had lived at the time. Yeah. And those guys from downstairs, that's kind of how those two worlds collided. Yeah. Well, cause yeah, I guess I didn't become a DJ until 95. That's when I turned 21. Yeah. All right. Yeah. 95 is when I became a DJ. I, I guess I'd met Carol beforehand, but I'd know that we didn't probably become better friends until he probably lived downtown and was DJing. And so was I, and so was Ray at the parlor, the world famous parlor bar. Like side note, have you been to the parlor? Did I show you the parlor with, it's got another side to it now or it's got. No, I, I like remember they were trying to add on to it when we were still in school. Uh, you know, the, the floor was always notorious for almost caving in. <laughs> so I think they're trying to distribute some of that weight into an additional room, but I don't, I, I just remember it being covered in plastic because they never got it quite finished. It's always a shock to the people that went to the parlor back when we did um, that this exists now. It's not necessarily on the same level. It's like down a couple stairs, but it's over the back part of the buckhorn where you kind of probably saw that room, but they finally got that all done. I don't even know if it has a name. I, we called it purgatory because it wasn't the buckhorn and it wasn't the parlor. It was kind of in the middle there, uh, but it seems to be the new parlor area. But I remember being over there when it was being trying to be built, I guess, probably back when we were in school and seeing the floorboards and the, the big beams under the parlor. We weren't going to break through. We might break through like the initial first part of wood, but there were these huge giant, like just eight by eight. I mean, nothing. We weren't falling through anything, but it felt like it. We could feel it bend when it got going. That floor it, would bounce. <laughs> floor would bounce. So were you like a lot of other people and did you have a fake ID? No, I didn't need one. I kind of knew some people that would let me in there. To the part, I was just thinking might have had one in general, but I guess I always had a fake and then I eventually was 21. But yeah. Um, no, because no. uh, you're, you're a bit older than me. So when you guys were old enough to go up there, we kind of didn't need ID. Yeah, that's true. We are, it's all right. There's no stat. There's the statute of limitations of long run out of thing. Yeah, of course. Can't be held accountable for what we did in college. I don't think maybe our degrees, but that's about it. Um, yeah, it was, uh, like awesome. My first time I ever went there was just mind blowing. Cause I didn't, I was going to 18 up nine country stuff and that, that was just my music. But to go to a place that was all about music, I like being, being played and, and like started getting into drinking like hard alcohol and such. Uh, it's crazy. I'd really try to explain what, what electric lightning, electric Kool-Aid. Do you remember those drinks? No. <laughs> uh, yeah. He wouldn't. It just came was along. there a blue? Was it a blue drink? Blue. Or, yeah. Maybe it was like a Smurf. Was it a Smurf? But it was like every hard alcohol, clear alcohol. And then some puckers and like some Sprite. 
but it was it was delicious but it was the most potent drink made around but i think that a lot of it came out later after you i think had finished school but describe your first experience at the parlor bar because i know you went there a lot yeah i don't even i don't know if i could describe my first experience but just thinking back in the parlor in general it was um crowded hot uh I don't even know if I ever remember ordering a drink or if one just appeared in my hand whenever we went there, but um, a lot of hair pulling, um, <laughs> sitting behind the DJ booth. Yes. Uh, it's Going into the men's restroom and peeing in the sink because the ladies was always clogged. Those bathrooms are ridiculous. <laughs> like I... Do they have more upstairs? They might. No. Uh, yeah, they do. No, they don't. I don't think they do. But yeah, they were ridiculous. And the, and the buckhorn bathrooms were even even worse. And so like, I kind of was just talking about more about parlor stuff because I'm probably going to do a podcast where we have like five, six people and we'll figure out a parlor, the parlor stories of the 90s. Oh, and, Lord. And tell them and talk about them and, and those. So I'd bring it up because it'll be like a follow-up, like an Avengers now we're doing all the, the, the character stories now, and then we'll do the group stories later here on the podcast because we've got time on uh, this show. Oh, yeah, so, yeah. yeah. I, I, I've got a few stories in mind already. Yeah, good, good. And so um, did you frequent any other bars in Laramie where there were some that made you stuck out uh, at the time? Oh, period? gosh. Bars come and go in Laramie, and people are like, oh, yeah, that one or this one. And now it's totally most of them different. Yeah, the main one was definitely the parlor. Um, usually we'd pregame it. The, is it called the Cowboy still? Which one? This, the, the one just around the corner. From oh, the parlor. like uh, it's got the big old dance floor. Yeah, so, yeah, 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 yeah. On 2nd Street? Yeah, it's a regular cow. I think it's Cowboy Saloon. Oh, okay. Um, there's that one that changed names 17 times. It was the Empress Wild Willies and uh, I can't remember what else. And then there was some other dance one. Was it something underground? The Cactus Jacks. Cactus Jacks. Oh. <laughs> uh, yeah, those were, those were the main ones. Sins. Come on now. That's what I was waiting for. Sins. Fish bowls at Sins. No. When people, there were... I'm not a proud of the drunk driving I did at that time period, but it was done. <laughs> Statue of limitations. And, uh, but Sins was this bar out in West Laramie and they had specials on fish bowls and they ran from everything from, um, uh, Long Island iced tea. They had the frozen drinks, anything. Sex and on the beach. Sex on the beach. And, I don't. I never really started going to sins till I became like an in at the parlor because we were like, well, our bartenders hook your bartenders up, and so why don't you just come to sins before you go work at the parlor? And we're like, that sounds like a great idea, and so we do that, and like would it would start off oh a drink or two beforehand would start off with Carol calling me at two in the afternoon, hey man, come out to the come out to sins. And I was like, just because you skip class doesn't mean I'm going to skip class today. And I'll meet you afterwards. But I did. I would. And Sins, 
dark, no lights, perfect for Carol. And <laughs> dart boards. Did you play a lot? Did you ever get in a dart? No, I don't think so. Uh, okay. Because I know I played a ton of darts during that time period and we wrangled everybody in. But yeah, the, the Sands was like, it was a home away from home for especially for a lot of people that hung out the parlor because they just come from Sands to the parlor and all ready to rock and dance and make that dance floor break. And so, and then there was, I know you talked to just about uh, Empress. Like somebody brought up the that name the other day and I was like, I couldn't remember. Like it was that corner place mm-hmm. that it had. Now it was the last place it was Shocktoberfest, which is totally closed down right now. There's no bar in there, prime real estate. Somebody should come by that building and either turn into a parking lot or like we need another bar or whatever, but it's prime real estate. It's up for grabs. And uh, I think the lady used to own it has passed by now. So uh, I remember stupid business owners signing contracts with her and balloon payments being due in like August when there's no business instead of like November when there's great business. But um, yeah, those some of the great bars here in Laramie. They've all changed. We've all got new places to hang out or they do. I don't really go out as much like I used to. It takes someone like you to come into town and I'd be like, all right, let's go check something out. But I think yeah. it was the first place that started doing Penny Beer Night. Oh. They would do Penny Beer Night, and then uh, Cactus Jack started doing Penny Beer Night. So I think Empress would do it on Wednesdays, and then the other place would do it like on Thursdays. So, you know, we'd, we'd fork out a quarter and get, get a pitcher of beer instead of, you know. It was like, technically, you couldn't give out alcohol for free. So yeah, I do penny mares and they would charge like I think it was five for dudes, two for girls or three for girls. I can't remember what the store I was worked the door. I can't remember what the the breakaway is. Of course you didn't get charged ever. I was at the door. No. And uh we would laugh at the people who actually brought tons of pennies and nickels and quarters. I'd be like, What am I supposed to do? They'd just be littered across the bar, just pennies, and we'd be like, Oh, I guess they do spend. We could count these up, but I would just be laughing at the amount of people that actually brought a lot of stuff in. I'd just be like, yeah, throw a quarter down and drink all night. Stuff yeah. like that. <laughs> it was garbage beer. It was like Milwaukee's best or old Milwaukee. It was, I mean, it was rough. <laughs> there was Paps in the mix, which I actually drink a lot of Paps now. But uh, I wasn't then. And I remember I was like, how do we have a Paps keg right next to uh, this Guinness keg? And because I bartend there on on Tuesday, no Thursday nights, Thursday days. So I was a bouncer Wednesday nights on penny beers, and then Thursday days I was a bartender, and I got Thursday nights ready for the next night, fish bowls and everything. And it was an interesting place to work, and um, I'm glad I my career is mostly known for being at Lovejoy's and Parlor, not Empress or. <laughs> I forgot you worked there. Yeah, I was. It was wild. It might have been Wild Willie at the time. Yeah. When I was a bouncer there. And yeah, after what I watched a girl put a cigarette on the back of a dude's neck <laughs> while I was bouncing. <laughs> and I was like, they kept us sober as bouncers on that night, which is great. It was a good idea. I didn't love it. It was a great idea because just sloppy, sloppy drunk people. Because you just throw them beer down their throats for free, basically. And yeah, I watched that and I was like, oh my God, I ran over there, grabbed her, threw her out the door, not threw her, just put her out the door. And she 
stood by me for the most of the night crying. My friends are in there laying back in. I was like, that dude will kill you. And I'll probably watch. So I go, you can be kicked out forever or just now, just tonight. And I was like, she's like, what about my friends? I was like, if they can't figure out you're gone, I don't know how good of friends they are right now. <laughs> and so we, I eventually, I think a friend came and they left, but and they came back later and she apologized and all that stuff. But I remember watching that happen, uh, too many fights. And so when I was sober, I just bounced people off the walls. It was kind of fun. Because drunk people, easy, multiple. And uh, when you're sober, as you learn as a bouncer, but I was kind of like that bouncer. It was like, once I got you outside, I, it was over. I didn't want anything beyond that. I wasn't had that big of ego. I want to get back inside. Um, and you brought up one thing that I want to touch on, rugby. Because there's a little bit of post-game celebration going on rugby. How is it playing rugby for the University of Wyoming? Oh, it was, it was a great time. Um, I went to my first rugby game. It was a men's game. I was hanging out with a friend of a friend who was a rugby player. And he was like, oh, I got to go do this thing. I got to go to this rugby thing. And I was like, rugby, what's that? So we all went and he was actually a player on the team. Uh, he was very, very hungover. Hmm. I have no idea how he even made it through the game, but just watched that first rugby match. And I was like, this is amazing. This is the most amazing sport I've ever seen in my life. And then it was like, oh, well, there's a women's team. I'm like, what? There's a women's team? So yeah, my sophomore year of college, I joined the women's rugby team. So, oh man, the, a lot of good times playing rugby, um, just with learning the sport and, you know, getting to travel a bit and, you know, making those new friendships. And I mean, there was no shortage of rugby parties. So, you know, if, if I hadn't been broken in my freshman year, my sophomore year was just a whole different level of of college partying so you know that's that rugby is how I kept my girlish figure the first you know those couple years but yeah, yeah. I just cool yeah I was I I kind of once you brought it up I was like oh yeah she did play rugby that's forgot about that it was a couple of years of rugby right yeah yeah we we had we had many a rugby party at the Mandarin I'm sure you yeah, lots of blurriness. Of course, <laughs> yes. Yeah, well, because like you guys had like a, it led off, well, it was the Mandarin, so it's really close to the downtown area. There's still a little bit of residential, but you had um, a parking space behind your house, like into an alley, which seemed to fill up with people right. pretty quickly. Um, but yeah, like that was kind of the Wyoming party scene, I guess. Uh, and there was, yeah, rugby parties were like notorious parties all over the place. I was asked to play, but I just never had time. I was coaching. I was doing a lot of stuff. I was, the time is that we, that we would have played rugby. I just didn't have the time to do it, which I'm glad because I barely can move my shoulders half time anyway from football. So rugby probably would have piled on some extra in injuries to myself, which nowadays I'm glad I don't have as many no major surgeries or anything like that for the the amount of uh, torture or fun I put my body through actually football and 
and such skiing, carrying a camera on my shoulder mm. for 10 years at least. Um, I'd go to a chiropractor and they'd be like, you carry something on your right shoulder? And I'm like, yep, camera. <laughs> I'm like, work it out. Gotta work it out. So we're going to push forward a little bit. College is about to wrap up. Graduating with degree in broadcasting. What do you want to do? I knew what I didn't, didn't want to do. I didn't want to stay in Wyoming. Um, but, you know, that gets into a whole other segment of my life that could take another hour to talk about. But I, uh, you know, was trying to figure life out and made some bad decisions <laughs> along the way. Uh, ended up marrying my high school boyfriend and that kind of kept me in Cheyenne after graduation when I had originally thought that I would go to a big city and, you know, start my career in broadcasting or maybe do um, commercial production or, you know, something way more exciting. Um, so, yeah, I ended up getting a job at Channel 5 after college. I worked in a flower shop for almost a year right after graduation because I needed a job. But, you know, my, my mom had, had worked there. So I kind of had an in and then, uh, saw an opening at channel five. Um, the only position that they had available was traffic and everybody's like, Oh yeah, you got to do the traffic report. No, that is not at all. What traffic does at a television station. Um, it's essentially keeping track of every single second of what's on the air and making sure programs air on time and making sure commercials air on time and that you have the right copy for the commercials and is very not exciting. So uh, I did volunteer for the little theater here in Cheyenne for a while, got to do some directing. So that was, that was really cool. It was almost like having a full-time job, just volunteering to do that. But you know, the experience was, you know, it was amazing to get to kind of have that kind of creative outlet. Um, so yeah, needless to say the marriage thing, don't, don't marry your high school boyfriend. Okay. I'm just, <laughs> just saying, don't do that. Anyone that's listening, it's a bad idea. So, you know, that, that never really panned out. Um, and I don't think I ever expected it to. It just was kind of like, oh, what do I do now? And, you know, this was kind of a person that I had a toxic relationship, on and off relationship with. So um, it was kind of like, hey, either leave me alone or let's get married. Well, <laughs> wow. Yeah. <laughs> that, and that, 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 yeah. I kind of got married for that. Well, that's what you do next. Yep. Right? Yeah, I feel it. Kind of, kind of that. And, you know, somebody I'd, I'd known for several years because we went to high school together and it was kind of expected at that point because, you know, we'd been dating on and off for, for several years. And yeah, it just, it just never quite came together. So uh, that's, that's what I did. My first broadcasting stint was at Channel 5. Um, I knew then... I didn't want to do that. <laughs> And then, so enter husband number two while I was working at channel five. That's where, that's where I met my second husband. So, uh, and that, that took me on a whole other adventure. So 
uh, still in broadcasting, but not, not really directly. I, I mean, I don't know. I just, I, it, it was, um, a lot of moving again. So yeah, something I was familiar with. Um, so along the way of being married twice, um, children. Yes. I, I have two boys. My oldest son is a freshman at UW. Yeah. Go folks. Right. (laughs) And he, uh, he actually, earned the trustees scholarship to UW. So he, he got a full ride. Um, you know, it was, it, it took me a while to accept the fact that that's where he was choosing to go because I, you know, like we talked about, it was, it was my absolute last choice. And yeah. he, he's a very, very smart and talented kid. And, you know, I've always thought that he could do anything that he wanted to do and, you know, he shouldn't settle. Yeah, I felt yeah. like he was settling by going to UW, but ultimately I couldn't pay for his education and he was being offered a free education. So, you know, he said, mom, I really don't want to have debt when I get done with school. So Smart kid. I went and did some of the campus tours and he, he was interested in the college of business. So um, they really kind of sold me and I saw a lot of positive changes from when I had gone to school there. So uh, it, it took me a while to warm up to it, but you know, he's, he's really done really well. Um, my other son is, he just turned 16 and he's a sophomore in high school and uh, he's very disappointed. He hasn't been able to get his driver's license because of <laughs> the COVID Yeah. So yeah, he turned 16 in April and they, yeah, he can't get his driver's license yet. But, you know, thinking about it, you know, my son having his freshman year at UW, you know, he was living in the dorms. They, they put him in McIntyre on the sixth floor. Right. Right. And I, you know, I keep thinking back to gosh, my first year experience in college and, you know, I'm like, gosh, these kids, it's their first year from, you know, they're just leaving home, getting to have this experience. And then, nope. They get kicked out and they have to come back home for the rest of the year. So he's definitely having a much different freshman year experience than I had. Oh, absolutely. Wow. Yeah. I, I just, it's, it, I mean, we probably could have a whole nother show about trying, you know, raising kids or having kids in college and or K through 12, um, just getting their education right now during this COVID the academic, <laughs> epidemic. And it's, and so I don't even know what to say. I mean, I work at the university as well. And so I know what's going on and how students are getting their class and everything. But this would be a very difficult, difficult time to be a college student when you're like you said, when you came into college, that like you were kind of uh, restricted by your mother's uh, guidance. And I kind of felt, I didn't say I was, uh, I was, came from a strict household, but like my mom knew knew the right words to say to me to keep me in inside, not out doing crazy stuff and such. So when I got off into the college, I was like, "Wow, I'm chains off!" And so it's your chance to really get to 
explore life and yourself. And well, not, you can't do that when you're quarantined at home. So I feel really just terrible for the college kids. And, and like, I'm like, ah, oh, my social life really didn't change much. I was home a lot anyway. I liked being home. I you was know, fine with it a long time ago. And, but yet like my little sisters just struggling with it. And a lot of the young people are well. And so I feel for them, I feel for all the young people out there that are struggling. How are you doing with this whole pandemic? Are you staying home? Do you got to stay home? Are you out there working still and all that? No, I am uh, cut back on on work. So um, they've cut us into three different teams. We each work two days a week and then we essentially have a week off and then we work two days a week and then we have a week off is kind of how it's it's going currently. Uh, so I kind of coming full circle, did the broadcasting thing, you know, that moved away for a while, was married, traveled, moved a lot with, with the ex-husband. He, he was in broadcasting as well. So he um, was a news producer. <clears throat> and in order to kind of get ahead in this business, you've got to move markets and, you know, go where the opportunities are. So, you know, I've been in Birmingham, Alabama. I was in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. And uh, before coming back to Wyoming was Raleigh, North Carolina. So that was, that was his dream. He got offered an executive producer position in a top 25 market. So, you know, the dream job. Yeah. (laughs) So uh, moved moved to Raleigh. Uh, That kind of ended up being the beginning of the end. So uh, long story short, he, he left us about five years ago. I ended up back in Wyoming uh, just to be around family. I didn't really have anybody. I'm glad you're back. Well, so so is my family. I mean, it's, it's been good. It's been good. I've had a big attitude change since I lived here last. So, you know, having kids, it's, you know, you kind of realize how much nicer it is to raise a family in a small town. You don't have yeah. as many worries. Um, plus, you know, they had been different places. They've experienced different things. You know, I've made sure that I made their education a top priority. So I, I think they, they see the effort that I put in. And, you know, they know that they, there's a whole other world out there. It's not just Wyoming. So hopefully they'll kind of spread their wings and, and make some decisions on where they want to go in life and not just think that this is, you know, this is it. So, um, yeah, when I cut back to Wyoming, broadcasting degree doesn't do you a whole lot of good here. Sorry, it just... <laughs> it doesn't. <laughs> So the first job I got when I moved back was working for a credit union and I had no experience in the financial industry, no desire. I actually applied for a call center job because I had a lot of customer service experience. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd been a manager at an advertising company, not a whole lot of advertising here in, in Wyoming, but um, definitely didn't want to do, you know, TV sales or radio sales or any of that. So um, you know, I'm like, oh, customer service, you know, just kind of get my foot in the door somewhere. And I got a call for an interview and they wanted to interview me for like an assistant branch manager position. I'm like, uh, did you see my application? <laughs> <laughs> no, so they, yeah, but you have management experience. And they said, that's what we're looking for. We can teach you the rest. So, yeah, I mean, last five years, that's, that's what I've been doing is working in credit unions and just absolutely love it. Oh, I, wow. I mean, 
if I could go back in time, I probably would have majored in finance or, you know, something along those lines. I, you know, just, just not something I ever thought that I had the knack for. And it just, it comes so naturally and I, I enjoy it. I find that I'm really passionate about it. So, you know, bounced around between a couple of credit unions and just most recently started working for Unilio. So <laughs> it's kind of like getting thrown back into the university <laughs> after all these years. Cause they're very, you know, hugely tied to the university and opening up a Cheyenne branch is, is the position that I was hired for was to be a service rep manager there. Um, we really only had a couple of weeks of being open here in Cheyenne before we had to start shutting down our lobby and, you know, only doing what we could through the drive. So uh, they're an awesome company. They treat their employees so well. They're, you know, still keeping us going financially, even though they've cut our hours back, you know, that they're still paying us our, our 40 hours and uh, you know, trying to do what they can do to help all of us get through this. So, you know, there are, are days when I just am like, cool, this is kind of like being a stay at home mom again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Cause yeah, one, you are both kids back. I mean, yeah, the one that's in high school, right? Yeah. They went to online around spring break and then yeah, UW right before spring break, they, yeah. they kind of extended that and then just said, Hey, don't come back. So <laughs> yes. And that helped out here. Let me tell you that. Oh, I know. You guys have had like four cases. Yeah. Eight total now. Um, but yeah, it did. It was kind of like uh, we took and took the probably the most susceptible, not susceptible, the most biggest carriers of probably bringing it in, which I think they brought in December, but I'm not going to get into that one. And uh, they were gone. And sometimes I even catch myself. I'm like, wow, those are clear today and i'm like oh yeah pandemic stuff like that it, i'm not trying to make light of it it's just that every once in a while i forget that goes on because we haven't had that many cases we're seven but we're still social distancing people wear masks we're on different schedules and everything we should get to one i'm on campus one day a week maybe two days uh i would do every fourth friday but i'm i rotate out with four guys and we unlock a classroom building, the classroom building, and uh, we just unlock rooms. There's swipe cards to get into the building, so the instructors are cleared to teach there. Only one is in there with us in the building on time. So maybe three people, with, including the janitor, are in that building at the same time. And I, I, I see them, it's because some technology issue. But now we've worked out with the bugs, I rarely see them. So I just go make sure the room's open, wipe things down, close it, lock it up. So I like, I became like a, uh, I work in IT, so I'm technology, I'm security because I open up buildings and I lock things up and I'm a, a custodian because I clean up after everybody and I have all the wipe down stuff. And so uh, I became essential. It was weird. I've never been considered an essential part of the University of Wyoming in my 17 years. And next thing I know, I was like, oh, you guys are essential. And the worst part about it for me, you know, I'm still getting paid and lucky. I, uh, that's going on and we still have budgets and everything that are take care of us um, was my student workers was how are they going to survive? I was just, that stressed me out the most. And once the university came through, they got a huge, like, I think a loan, not a loan, like just an endowment 
to take care of all the students. Uh, we're good. And then I was like, ah, okay, I can relax. I don't have to worry about them working, take care of my stuff. But it was, that was probably, probably the most work caught me. And I was like, how am I going to take like financial side where I was worrying about other people more than I should probably worry about myself because I have diabetes. So I need to live my interactions when I'm not protected or anything like that from, because my immune system, even though my blood sugars are good, it's still attacking. Yeah. It's still like a lot of people that have passed away from COVID either have heart disease, diabetes in their elderly, but the younger ones were just random. They probably had diabetes or they probably had some sort of heart disease they didn't know about. And so that's the scary side of it. And knowing I have diabetes going, oh, cause I feel like an idiot sometimes wearing a mask. I don't know if you do either. I just like, I, people can't see my smile. So they know I'm, I'm not in mean or I'm trying to engage. I'm trying to be nice, like in the store. Or someone's like, oh my God, I'm like, you know, I'll smile it off, but I can't smile it off. Can't smile with my eyes. So that's the worst <laughs> part. I mean, that sucks, but I understand why it's being done and I'm okay with it. But, um, and I keep on saying, okay, you have to take care of yourself. You have to watch out for yourself because this could be an issue and limit your time. And there's times where oh, I'm at the store again in a week, which still have seven or eight cases, should be chill about it. But, it is what it is. And so I hope you are holding up well. And it sounds like you are. And I know we could probably talk for hours oh. and hours. And maybe we'll do a part two or maybe we'll bring you on the parlor. But for now, I got to wrap this up because people are going to be like, this is a huge, long podcast. I went a long time with Jeff too as well. So thank you, Gina, for being on All My Friends with Justin Flaskrew. Mm-hmm. Gina, I could talk for hours and hours, and I hope you enjoyed our conversation. I learned some things, and I hope you learned some things as well about both of us. I think I'm going to bring Gina back for a show about either the parlor or maybe even a show about UWTV at the University of Wyoming. So stay tuned for shows like that when we have groups of people on the show. Now, I'm still looking for an artist or artist to provide some transition music between my intro and then the the interview and then again before my close like I did did then just a few minutes ago that you heard you know the guitar uh, yeah it's some free stuff I'm using right now but if you're one of those artists please get a hold of me or if you know an artist that would be interested in giving me some guitar licks some drum licks some DJ licks whatever kind of artist you are my social media is as such DJ Rude Entertainment on Facebook I also got Instagram, Arena. You can DM me there. I have Twitter as well. Jammin DJ Rude, J-A-M-M-I-N underscore DJ underscore Rude. I also have Snapchat, Rudezilla68. You can email me if you have my emails. You can text message me if you have my phone number. So let me know if you want to be that artist or artist to provide some transition music. I will hype you. I will pump you. I promote your music on my radio shows just give me a sample of your music and i'll use it on this show all my friends with justin flaskrude on to the next episode